This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we have with us, so Jackie couldn't be with us here today, but we have Gregory Neesmith. He is one of our colleagues at WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. He's also a radio host there. He's a life coach. He's an entrepreneur. He's into real estate. He has a bomb apartment in Harlem. So how you know? You going to show me pictures. He showed me pictures. What were you doing last night? No, he showed me pictures. It's like a two-bed, like, okay. Greg, introduce yourself, Greg. There's not much I can add to that except to say I am happy to be back. And if folks want to get in touch with me, just go to GregoryNeesmith.com. All my social media and all the stuff I'm into is on there. I just want to say shout-out to Quentin Cross, Chad, McDonald, everyone who's listening on Facebook Live, Alexandra. Thank you. I love my hair, too. No, who is Alexandra um, complimenting when she says love your hair? Me. Oh, okay. Who, who else would she be complimenting? Don't answer that question, Alexandra. <laughs> Catherine, thank you. As always, if you're on Facebook Live, thank you for tuning in. If you're on IG Live, one of our newest tools, thank you for tuning in. And, of course, my podcast crew, I appreciate you. you got to let me know you're listening, though. Make sure you're leaving comments on the podcast and leaving a review because the more positive reviews we have, the higher up on the iTunes listing we will show up on. Don't you want us to be great? Help us be great, beloveds. Yes. So we have a great show lined up today. We're going to be talking about everything from the migrant caravan crisis, which is actually trending now on Twitter. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's going on with Drake and Pusher T. Uh, We're going to have a larger conversation about how Republicans are trying to stop us, people of color, uh, and also other marginalized communities and women from voting and why it's so important for us to vote in the midterm elections in just a few weeks. But before we delve into all the good stuff, I have to ask you guys, how was your weekend? It was really good. Um, I went to a Kiki yesterday. What's that? It's like a gay party. Oh. Um, Yeah, it was really cool. It was actually like a fundraiser sort of get together for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and I haven't really been doing a lot in the primary stuff, but uh, a bunch of my LGBTQ friends reached out and were like, hey, we need a gay. Um, you need a gay? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm oh, joking. Oh. Um, they were like, we need a, le- a good lesbian to work the door. Um, so, you know, I was volunteering there. I was like, oh, iPad, you can find oh, me. Oh, Alyssa probably didn't let anybody in unless you had, like, unless you like, registered. You are not on the list. You are not on the list. And I was like, you want to volunteer? We're going to get you signed up. Uh, but yeah, it was good. It was good. And, you know, I just also got to shout out Close Rikers. Yes. Close Rikers shirt today. Shout out to Darren Mack, who always watches our show. I slept in that shirt last oh, night. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> no, I slept in that shirt. <laughs> FYI. How was your guys' weekend? Stan. Um, I've been dog sitting. And I've been <laughs> I should have went first then. All right, yeah. before I dog yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's what they call that these days? No, really. I've been dog sitting. I've been at my friend's house watching her dog. Benny has been wonderful. But it's also taught me that, like, I don't want kids or a dog. Hold on, silly, but you love dogs. Why yeah. don't you want one now? Because I don't feel like waking that's up. To, I have to wake up extra early this morning to walk him. And then, like, he wants to sniff everything. He wants to go to the park. You got to fight him so he's not eating stuff off the floor. I'm not interested in that. But on the bright side, I got to hang out in my friend's really nice apartment, and she has a washer and dryer, so I'm definitely doing my laundry. Yo, you didn't tell us about the washer and dryer? No, Hi. it's about me. It's all y'all. Yo, so, I'm supposed to be able to come do laundry up there. Nah, you, you're trying to mess up my good position, all right? Listen, <laughs> I'm trying to get my laundry done. But, um, no, it's been a pretty good weekend, pretty chill weekend. Gonna go check out an apartment later today. Nothing really is fun to report to this week. We shouldn't even ask you. You were not. Greg? Greg, uh, and I'm, also guys, if you don't know, Greg is our special guest correspondent for the day. It's good to be back. Uh, weekend's been good. Played some basketball with my friends Saturday morning. Mm. So still out here balling in these streets. And I 
don't have a dog or and I don't want one either, Stanley. So yeah, see, you, you get me. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I am. I'm also not like a pet type person, but oh, we I know. Pre- we know. How do you know? know? She's scared of dogs. No, I'm not. We're gonna lose bit. all our pet listeners. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yes, a little bit. Alyssa, do you at least? Want pets? Uh, you know, I like dogs. I would love to have a dog. I just really don't have the time for a dog. It, like, wouldn't be fair to the dog. It's also expensive. Like, you know, I was talking to my, my dad about it once, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get a dog. And, like, you know, I can afford the food. And my dad's like, what happens when the dog gets sick and you got hit with a $2,600 vet bill? How are you going to yeah. pay for that? And then I was like, uh, true. And then I didn't want to admit that he was right, but he was right. So that's why I don't have a dog. But maybe one day when, you know, I hit that uh, Powerball that apparently nobody won again. Oh, last my night. goodness. It's still going on. Dollar yeah. in a dream. Yo, Mega Millions is $1.8 million or $1.8 billion or something like that on Tuesday. Right. And the Powerball right. is now up to $670 million or something. If you got that money, what would you do with it, Selena? A lot of philanthropic work. I would actually. So you're gonna pay me and Lissa's rent? Yes. <laughs> she just said she's paying my student loans off. Is that what I heard? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. What else? Go full into entrepreneurship and well, travel. You, why you want to help people and better yourself if you get money? Why you just wasting on dumb stuff like jewelry and cars? Anyway, speaking of helping people, oh. that's actually a great way to segue into our news roundup. We we talk about all of the stories and issues that were either really concerning or something that we really liked or we just want to highlight. So if you're listening and watching via Facebook Live, let us know. Engage with us. Give us your comments. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, migrant, the migrant caravan is trending right now. Um, so as if you guys have been paying attention to the story, um, on Friday, members of the um, Honduran migrant caravan clashed with police and it was oh. a huge breakout. Um, there were like some intense pictures and, and a lot of things going on, but we know that people from uh, Central America, Honduras, Mexico, and Guatemala, they're traveling via the Mexico border. They're trying to cross it to get into the country. They did yesterday. Um, and they did because they're seeking asylum, they're seeking refuge. And I think it was back in April when Donald Trump made this whole like caravan thing start trending when he was like, oh, Democrats just want uh, you know, undocumented workers to come into this country via yeah. caravans so that they can vote Democrat. I mean, we look, here's the thing. People vote. aren't coming here to vote Democrat. They're coming here for a better <laughs> life. And they're coming here because we destabilized South and Central America throughout the entire 80s. So yeah. it's like, at what point do we as Americans acknowledge the role that we played in destabilizing an entire region and causing economic strife so that now people are literally in dire straits where they have no other options? So it's like, like I, I don't. you can't even blame these people. We have to look internally at ourselves and say, you know, like, in some ways we cause this problem um and you know yeah this is a huge crisis because uh, you know you're talking about people who have no food they have nothing they're literally coming with the clothes on their backs and the reason why they're joining together in a caravan is because hiring a smuggler to get you here is expensive going on your own is dangerous but when you have a thousand people there's strength in numbers um and so yeah i mean look it's going to be interesting to see what happens when they get to the u.s border um because you know, it doesn't seem like something's good is going to happen. The, the way that we would usually handle something like this on a diplomatic level is when you see these high levels of immigration coming from certain parts of the country, what that usually means is there's a problem in the, in the home country. So if we were, like, I don't know, in the Obama administration or even 
Bush too, we would reach out to Honduras and be like, hey, what do you need to help to kind of slow this down? And it'll be like, oh, well, we need more money for food or we have a job slowage, you know. And then we would work with them to address that because whatever they would need would only take up like not even a fraction of our budget. It wouldn't be that much of a lift. And that's a diplomatic way to do it, but instead Trump has been threatening Honduras to pull resources from them. They've been threatening other countries, trying to force them to make a change. And all that really does is just sparks more outrage and more anger and makes it even harder for people to want to come forward honestly. Yeah, Greg, what do you, what's your take on the Caribbean crisis? Um, you know, I, uh, first of all, I want people to not listen to Donald Trump, who's been <laughs> telling yeah. people that folks are uh, just coming here for, as Alyssa alluded to, for, for bad reasons, bad hombres, all that stuff. Our own U.S. State Department has said that there's economic issues mm -hmm. in danger in Honduras and Central America. So remember the Gang of Eight? Mm -hmm. yes. that, that old phrase? Yep. I, my request is that we get the Gang of 100 called the Senators and the mm -hmm. Gang of the, like, the 430-something House of Representatives, and they actually pass some immigration reform. We got folks like our brothers and sisters from Haiti yeah. who are part of the TPS program that's about to end that are going to be deported we got folks still in cages and kids separated from their parents we got daca unsettled so it's time for us to get some policies on the books instead of folks just talking because the caravans are coming and the kids are here separated and i i'm waiting for america to have enough no absolutely and there's just one other thing i want to add before we move on from this story which is that a lot of people don't realize in order to actually make a legitimate claim for asylum um, here in the United States, you actually have to be on U.S. soil and how you got here, meaning if you crossed the border illegally or what we actually call under the law entered without inspection, is irrelevant. Um, because in most of these countries, there is not a U.S. embassy or consulate where they can go and actually make a real refugee claim. So their only option is to physically cross the border. And in the past, what you would do is you would actually come to a port of entry, like an actual official border crossing, and you would declare yourself and ask for asylum paperwork. But the Trump administration has made that much much more difficult so that's why a lot of people are like screw that i'm not going to take my chances going to a, a port of entry border crossing i'd rather take my chances just running across the border because once i'm on the u.s side then i can go to an immigration lawyer and i can file an asylum claim um so that's really important for people to understand the legality and the legal aspects of it speaking of legal we got to switch gears we're going to talk about something very important Push a T. Mm. So about that five. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So are y'all loving it? So, yeah. so, so, so for those of you who have kept your heads under a rock or not like following what's happening in the hip hop moment, Drake was on LeBron James show and he said, "Well, Pusha T did in his rap diss to to Drake talking about Drake's best friend and making fun of him for having cerebral palsy was unforgivable and he wanted to punch someone in the face." Pusha T went on the Joe Budden podcast to clear up everything because Drake has been mad at Kanye because he thought that Kanye told Pusha about his secret child in my bed. Mm -hmm. Pusha T was like, "No." 40, Drake's best friend told me that. Pusha T said that he not only wrote the jingle for McDonald's, but also for Arby's. We got the meats. Pusha T has also said that Drake gets no respect from him. It was one of those hip-hop moments where if you missed it, you missed one of the best interviews in a long time. And it was on the Joe Budden podcast. I know I heard the first thing in the morning. Did anyone else hear this interview? No. Well, I watched 
watch clips of it. And because, like, first of all, Pusha T on the Joe Buns podcast, it was like three hours. Yes. Stanley, I don't know how you carved out three hours of your time. You do it throughout the day. Okay, that's, so that's what Stanley did. But no, but I mean, honestly, I'm just ready for the, the beef to be settled by now. I know Jay Prince has been chiming in. Um, and he's basically been saying that Pusha T needs to stop, like, trying to push the, like, he's on damage control, and he needs to stop trying to, like, push the beef to, I guess, to sell records. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, like, if I was Pusha T, I would come at Drake because Drake is at the top of his game. I mean, every, he keeps releasing all of this new music. He's on new verses, and, like, Drake is just so hot right now. So, I mean, I think Pusha T should continue. Right? Being I, petty. I remember a day when rap beefs used to involve like releasing records. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I yeah. long for the days. I don't. I mean, Nicki Minaj hasn't finished her beef. I don't know what's up with Eminem and their beef. Like at least when Jay Z and Nas were beefing, there was like albums there coming was out music. around that, right? These guys are running dossiers and opposition research on folks. I mean, it's it's. I, I just I don't get it. I miss it too, man. But look, we do have a comment from Renee Cooper. I don't care what Pusha T says because that album cover was so disrespectful. Oh, the yes. The album cover that Renee is talking about is Pusha T's album cover on Daytona, where it's pretty much Whitney Houston's Whitney Houston. Wow, Whitney Houston's bathroom after a wild coke binge. So like, just like What was that on. supposed to represent? Because like he's he, he's a drug rapper. He raps about like drugs. So you saw like syringes on there. You saw remnants from heroin, from crack, a crack bottle. Everything was on in that counter, and they bought it from the estate for eighty thousand dollars to use it as an image. And a lot of people were bothered by that. So I, mean, I guess Renee's still frustrated about that. Chrissy, I see you. Good but shouldn't people you. be bothered that her estate sold it to begin with, right? Because they didn't have to sell it, and that's like you know, like if they want to sell it, then he can use it for what he wants to. And I get that people could be offended by that, but like think about it, right? He would not have been able to use it if her estate did not sell it in the first place. And if they would have used it without the permission, then they would have had a huge, massive copyright lawsuit on their hands. So, like, right? Where does the the, the blame lie? I don't know. I think both people can be crappy in this case. Fair enough. Um, speaking of people being really crappy, I just got a breaking news update that the Trump administration is essentially trying to um, define transgender out of existence. Um, the breaking news update essentially yeah. says that the they want to define gender as fixed at birth um, in order to roll back tra- uh, protections for transgender people. Um, I I don't even know how to react right now because like I have this like visceral like as being like sort of gender non-binary like on this gender spectrum um, like. Well let's let's take a step back for listeners who are not like use some, some of the language you're using over here. So as you so most scientists will tell you that gender is not just man and woman it's on a spectrum so it can range from a bunch of different things. So what you have is people who like for example, I am a man, and I, I believe that I'm straight, so you would consider me as a, stress, a cis black male, which means like I identify as a gender I was given, and also like I'm straight. Now, so what Alyssa was saying over here as gender non-binary, can you explain that? Yeah, so I mean, look, I it's I, <laughs> I actually don't like the labels, but gender non-binary is somebody who doesn't want to identify as male or female, who considers themselves to be not in the gender binary of male or female. Just to clarify something else you said, Stanley, gender and sexuality are two different things. One is who you identify as, the other is who you want to sleep with or be with. Um, and then there's biological sex. And the other thing that people don't realize is that biological sex is not binary. There are lots of people that are born as intersex. Um, so like this- What does that mean? It means that you're born with male and female parts in, or male and like you could be born um, you know like so yeah it's like um, there's people that literally are both sexes they're they not call just them hermaphrodites. exactly and now we call them intersex so like for the Trump administration to um, you know say that they're going to try and like legislate 
trans people or non-binary people out of existence by defining um, gender at birth. I mean, what that really means is they want to persecute trans people um, and non-binary people because like there's no other like to, to say like you can't tell somebody they don't exist what would that look like if they succeeded how would that impact these groups i mean look it would lead to a situation where like trans people could be well i mean they already are discriminated against in many ways but even more so how? um that like you know job discrimination they would have no recourse which they already sort of don't but they could say like if you don't identify her as for example they could say like if you don't identify her as a man or woman you can't collect food stamps you mm. can't collect a housing voucher you can't get a passport um, you have to select male or female if you want to get a passport they could say you can't get a birth certificate there's so many things that this could touch and concern and it doesn't you know it, it goes one step further than that because there's actually a lawsuit pending right now um, that is a little bit different but it basically is these people suing saying it's like the follow-up to the cake case they're saying that like they don't have to take pictures of trans or um, you know uh, LGBT people at all um, so like when you look at the lawsuits that are going on that are being pushed by right-wing groups and the stuff that the Trump administration is doing and the fact that you no longer have a civil rights division in the Department of Justice that actually cares about civil rights, um, you are in a situation where this touches and concerns so many different civil rights, not just for LGBT people, sorry, I'm going very fast, I apologize, um, but for all people and all minority groups, and that is yeah. really, really scary. Yeah, no, Alyssa, thank you so much for breaking that down. Obviously, this was a breaking news story, so we'll continue to follow it and see what exactly happens. We know that the Trump administration has been trying to push back all civil rights laws and a number of different categories and aspects. Um, speaking of, you know, things that have been offensive this week, I don't know if you guys saw or heard about Elizabeth Warren who is, she's a white senator, she's a white woman, and she, throughout the, her career, as a, um, working as a professor at Harvard and, and different things, she basically has been saying that she's a Native American, an indi uh, indigenous type person, and so basically Donald Trump was like, look Pocahontas, if you, why don't, if you can prove that you're Native American, I'll give you a hundred, I'll give you a million dollars to the org of your choice. So she fought, seven million? Three million. Three million. So she finally, she took in a DNA test and it turns out she's like 116th indigenous, which really doesn't count. So obviously I think she thought that, you know, she's being an ally, she's progressive and she's speaking for indigenous people. The problem being she identifies looks and benefits being a white woman like she because she is a white woman and looks like it. She has she really cannot relate to indigenous people or any person of color and she's basically just appropriating and co-opting being indigenous for her benefit and to get the benefits that are like federally mandated for native americans yeah i so a couple things first of all i know it's the year of the woman right i know that intersectionality matters and things like that but come on elizabeth not like this <laughs> first of all so i got two words for elizabeth actually Camilla Harris, let mm -hmm. me just get that out the way for the women who want to be uh, potentially running for president. But you said that she can't um, relate to indigenous people. Mm -hmm. She could, but she doesn't have to make up that she was actually once a citizen of some tribe to right. do that, right? So I don't mind you not being in a certain group and wanting to look out for them, but let's not do it in a way that's disingenuous and in a way that it's just 
Yes. I mean, look, I think that's the big issue is like the disingenuous part of it and the fact that she benefits from her status as a white woman. Now, to Selena's point, I don't think she actually takes any of the benefits that are given out. She to did in Harvard. In a, she she no, played. She no, didn't. she didn't. That's no. that's a to- complete misconception and we shouldn't be perpetuating well, it. Well, well, Harvard, Harvard benefited because yes. Harvard was Harvard, saying but that's that not it, filled, it filled her quota. But I mean, like, she, okay, it's not Harvard Har- right, right about that. So she like, was just in on the plan. Right. Well, let me just say something. So, yeah, Harvard was the one that said they they have their first woman of color who's tenured, and they use Elizabeth Warren, which is, like, wild disingenuous because Elizabeth is whiter than mayonnaise, seasoned with more mayonnaise. But the piece that we're missing over here is, first of all, she only said she was Native American because of some, like, wild dog story her family used to tell her. Secondly, you can't tell, you can't confirm whether you have indigenous history in your background because it's about the tribe. And right. they, have, they, they have their very own process to figure that out that she did not go through. Thirdly, it wasn't one sixteenth; it was one three hundredth. Oh, and then it varied because it went from one three hundredth in the best case scenario to like one one thousandth, the yeah. worst case scenario. Then, lastly, she could have done none of this and been standing up and fighting for indigenous rights. She could have been going to tribes and talking to people. She could have been helping with reservations when they were trying to put pipelines on reservations. She could have been speaking up, and she has not. She has had no connections to native people, tribes the culture or anything, her entire time in leadership, besides to say she's one one thousandth or whatever it is native, which means that she's trying to use this as a way to prop herself up to be extra special because right now in this commercialized political space, the you know, the more association you have to black or brown people tangentically, the more viable you are, even though you don't actually have to give a damn about them. So this is actually pretty low. And it's a it's a textbook problematic white person thing to do. Yeah, and you know Elizabeth Warren is not the only problematic white woman that we've seen this week. Uh, we know that there was another white woman who literally would not let a black man into the apartment complex. Uh, it actually went viral. She harassed him. She blocked him with her body. She demanded that he show her his key his id and all this other stuff like she was security when they just both lived in the same complex in the same building and now that you know he was filming her the whole time it looked like she had no problem being on camera but now that it went viral she's saying that oh you know this wasn't racially motivated i was actually married to a man of color and then you know i'm not racist even though i've been called racist before in the past and then her ex-husband came out and basically like so like dis made sure that everyone knew how disconnected he is to her like he didn't like explicitly say i you know she's racist or anything but like yeah it's basically like i i really i don't i don't mess with her like that yeah so and here's the thing about racism that white people don't understand and this is why i said that all white people are racist is you don't have to know that you're being racist to be doing something that is racist or to be racist Everyone thinks that racism means you're burning a cross and you want to lynch black people. No. It could just be, A, your concepts and ideas about people of color turning into the way that you deal with and engage with them. So the prejudice you have about black people plus the way you engage with them plus the fact that you're right, you're white, makes it racist. So it really doesn't matter if like you thought it was racist, it was racist. And until we start having a conversation about implicit bias, about the prejudices that we have about people of color, particularly black people, about the way we talk about and we animalize and disrespect black people, white people, and all people really will never understand the way that these things impact their point of view of people of color and how that feeds into the racist racist structure. Right. But how are we gonna have the conversation though? I don't but, know, man. But, no, because 
when you say something like all white people are racist, mm-hmm. I guarantee you that a bunch of people just tuned you out. Yeah, which is why I try to give an explanation for it. So let me, because we, we had this conversation before. It's not about I mean, all white people are racist. That is a fact. Now, what does that actually mean? Let's unpack that because you hear that, you get frustrated, you get upset. I get it. It's about the fact that whether you mean to or want to or not, you were raised in a society that has a certain way of looking at, treating, and thinking about black people. You grew up in a racist society, and because you were white, you inherently benefited, whether it was like made you a millionaire or just maybe a cop didn't give you a hard time. You inherently benefited from the system. So even when you have the best intentions, you may do things that reinforce an already racist system. And it actually takes work to not do that, whether in like a very big way or in a very small way. So yes, you are racist. Doesn't mean that you need to be thrown away, but it does mean we need to be examining the way we think at and look at the world. Right, we're all subjected to implicit bias. I think that's a, 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 just to put some context to that, we're all subjected to that. To racism. Um, Now, Alyssa, I know that we wanted to, last but not least, we wanted to talk about the Saudi um, journalist who has been confirmed as being killed in Saudi Arabia and Donald Trump's very problematic response. Yeah, did you know that, you know, I go to a fist fight and I bring a bone saw with me, but I don't know that the fist fight's going to happen, but I have a, you know, a weapon where I could literally cut somebody's body up. And if you believe that, I had sex with Madonna last night. <laughs> and you bring 18 so, people with you too, right? What's going on actually right now? What, like, what's happening with this journalist? Yeah, so unfortunately we're running out of time, so I can't give you the full breakdown. The New York Times has done a really good job, so I do recommend that you go check out the New York Times for a full breakdown of all the uh, timeline of events. But essentially, a journalist worked for the Washington Post, um, and he went to the embassy um, and in Turkey, in Istanbul, the Saudi Arabia embassy, and then he never came out. And then for three weeks, he went missing, and nobody knew where he was, and nobody would admit whether he was dead or alive. And then now Saudi Arabia is saying that he is dead um, and that he was killed in a fistfight that happened at the embassy. Um, but again, like this has now created problems because Saudi Arabia Arabia is one of the America's allies. We sell a lot of guns to them. That Those guns make a lot of money for American companies uh, um, and for the military industrial complex that exists in America. Um, and so, you know, like we have to be, we also get a lot of oil from Saudi Arabia. So it's like, you got to like watch where you step, right? Because um, you don't want to like offend anybody. But at the same time, like, you know, Saudi Arabia is not a country where there's free speech. Um, you can be killed for a journalist for writing things about Saudi Arabia and about the government that people do not like or do not agree with. So, you know, like this has become a big issue. It's become a big problem for America and how we're going to react. And, you know, like it's really terrible because there's evil people on the right, like saying like, oh, like, well, we can't do anything because like we need to keep Saudi Arabia as our ally. And, you know, like that's sort of problematic too. So really quickly, Stanley, before actually, we wrap up and you're, move on. you're the journalist in the room, and like, how has this story impacted you? Because... Donald Trump not only defended Saudi Arabia, he was he was like bigging up a congressperson okay. that assaulted another reporter. Yeah, so Donald Trump has said that media is the enemy of the state, like the enemy of the, of the public. Like it's 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 bizarre. And the thing is, like he doesn't talk about Fox News or anything that happens to spew his propaganda. So when he attacks different journalists and when he does not defend journalists like the Saudi journalist that died while he was working for the Washington Post it's extremely problematic but it also creates this atmosphere where it's okay to beat up on journalists it's okay to body slam reporters and now that we have someone who was literally cut up while still alive uh, it's horrible it's traumatizing and honestly though on the other hand Donald Trump's 
responses and what he's been doing has only been fueling left-leaning media. Like, the New York Times has been doing better than before. Yeah. They've been getting way more funding. So, I mean, it, on the flip side, there is a positive. What about black media? I, black media is, is still hanging on. You know, by, by a thread. I mean, there's certain outlets that are still doing really, really well. Like, you have Essence Magazine, which is continuing to grow. But from my perspective and what I'm seeing, it's been harder and harder for black-owned media um, to to really survive in this climate. It's it's almost like everything is everything else is being dominated, like, over the independent news sites that cater to African-American audiences, which is why it's really important for you guys to support independent black-owned media like Let Your Voice Be Heard, like the Gregory Nee Smith show as well. So that being said, that is actually, do we have a comment? Yeah, we do. We have a quick comment that we're going to go to before we take a break. Okay. Uh, Nalia Amaru says, you don't have to know you're being racist to be racist. Um, he was, she was quoting Stanley. She says, facts, and therein lies the problem. Stanley dropping the street science. Thank you so much for your comment. Okay, so. Came through drift, chuk, chuk. As we segue into the main topic, okay, I'm gonna go straight into it. Okay, so um, as you guys know, or maybe you don't, I'm pretty sure you do. Um, Georgia is known for more than just being the home state of Migos, the best rap group in hip hop. And the Peach State. I don't think they're known for being the home state of Migos at all. But. They are now. You lost me on the Migos. I didn't know that. Yeah, Go they, they talk about being from the Orlando on the top. You guys don't listen to Migos? Go on. Mama sold me. Yeah, right. From North Orlando. Okay, well, moving on. Um, so there's a heated gubernatorial race going on in Georgia between Democrat Stacey Abrams and Trump-endorsed Republican Brian Kemp. Now, if Stacey Abrams wins, she would become the first black woman to serve as governor in the entire United States. However, an Associated Press report found that Brian Kemp's office froze voter registrations of 53,000 residents, and in many cases, without even telling them. And guess who's being targeted? The black blacks. people. What? The blacks. The blacks? <laughs> the blacks, um, as Stanley says. So nearly 70% of the voting applications held up in Kemp's office are from black applicants. But get this, Georgia's population, uh, well, black people only make up 32% of Georgia's population. So it's a disproportionate amount of black people being targeted here. Now, the way that this law works is the affected 53,000 voters, they can still technically vote if they bring an ID. The problem is it will be up to the person the paid and volunteer poll workers to decide who can vote and who cannot. So it's extremely subjective. Now, naturally, a lot of us are wondering how Republicans can get away with this. Well, just last year, the state passed what is called the exact match law, which says that if any voter's personal information does not match their, drive, their Georgia's driver license or their social security card or their state ID, then their registration gets flagged and put on hold. Like for instance, my mom, her name is Jacqueline, but very frequently she goes by Jackie on different documentation. So that would be flagged, right? Or like you have like a lot of African-American oriented names. A lot of times people misspell them because you know, white people just aren't used to hearing and seeing these type of names. And it could be their, it could be like the, the state's fault, but now that black person might not be able to vote come midterms. 
Um, so, and it's also worth noting that Brian Kemp, he is both a candidate for governor and Georgia's secretary of state. So that means that he is simultaneously running for election and overseeing the state's voting laws and voter rolls. So as a result, he's using his power as secretary of state to suppress the vote and ensure that he wins in November. Now, this is not the first time that Kemp has tried to use a, a, a voter purge in Georgia, nor is it the first time that Republicans across the country have instituted scare tactics to keep people of color away from the polls. Nor is it the first time that white people at large resorted to cheating to strip black people of their right to vote. And before we get into uh, the, the larger implementation, the, the larger indications that this have and, and implications that this has here, I want to start by opening up this conversation to the panel by getting your thoughts on what is going on in Georgia with this corrupt uh, system. Stanley? So it's pretty obvious what's happening. Republicans need a certain kind of political atmosphere if they want to win elections. They need a depressed turnout, which means people are so bummed out by the state of affairs, they don't turn out because low turnouts help incumbents and they especially help Republicans because the people that do turn out tend to be whiter and older and therefore more conservative. So what they're trying to do over here is depress the black vote because if the black vote comes out in numbers, which it probably will for a black woman in Georgia, they have a really good chance of winning. And instead of letting it roll out, they're like finding small ways to systematically undermine it. So that 53,000 you mentioned, um, plus another 70,000, and in the year before that, about 103,000 names were taken off of the rolls. To the point that as late as this Wednesday, with early voting having started, Stacey Abrams, who should have blown it away in early voting, was down by 0.08% percentage points. This, the Republican Party, this is the way that they win now. Right, and, and to Stanley's point, uh, he's right. Georgia Republicans actually invalidated voter registration forms for over 1.4 million residents since 2012. So, but Alyssa, They what didn't just do that. Kemp also closed 214 voting locations, nearly 8% of the state's total voting locations over the past six years. And where do you think the majority of those voting locations, those 214 voting locations that were closed, appear in? They are in minority neighborhoods. In fact, Kemp knows this full well because four years ago, he warned at a meeting of Republicans called the New Georgia Project uh, that the, that he warned Republicans, sorry, about the New Georgia Project, which was a voter registration initiative that was founded by Stacey Abrams. Um, and he said, and I quote, Democrats are working hard and all of these stories about them, you know, registering all these minority voters that are out there and others that are sitting on the sidelines. If they can do that, then they can win these elections in November. So Kemp knows full well that if Stacey Abrams is able to register all these voters. So that's exactly why Kemp's office has canceled more than 1.4 million voters since 2012. Nearly 670,000 registrations in 2017 alone. Uh, 53,000 new, new voter registration applications just from this year are on hold in Kemp's office. In fact, I think there's also a pending lawsuit against Kemp for his failure to recuse himself and the exact voter match thing that Selena mentions. Um, but this isn't just going on in Georgia. This is going on all over the country. It's going on in places like Nevada. It's going on in Texas. It's going on in Indiana. It's going on right, in North and, and South before, Carolina. But before we actually 
segue into how, what's happening across the country because it's not just in Georgia. I want to get Greg's thoughts on, you know, and especially Greg because, you know, you're someone who I, you know, I, I'm not going to do the math here. I don't know. I, I'm not going to expose your age because you look super, super young. 22. But, right, like, <laughs> Greg is more than likely 22. But, you know, you've been around for a couple of voting cycles. Like, you know, as someone who has been voting uh, for years now, how, how do you feel about this? Um, so... I go back to, not to reveal my age, but Gore versus Bush was mm, one of my okay. first times getting exposed to voting and seeing that the popular vote didn't matter and that people could appoint presidents and things like that. So I, I got uh, jaded, but I would say uh, this is a big deal, right? Um, there's only six women governors in America. There's only 16 Democratic governors in America. Um, and so I'm, um, I'm all for us making a push to make this happen. Uh, I think when we broaden the conversation, I want to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court and how big of a deal the court has been on this in terms of no longer needing pre-clearance to change voting laws like the 200 closing of the precincts, the exact match thing that's going on in Georgia. So while it feels like we're talking about Georgia and I'm worried about Miss, shout out to the black women running for office and Stacey Abrams, I'm also concerned because this thing is going on across the 50 states and i know we'll talk about that shortly greg is absolutely right so in 2013 um the supreme court actually gutted the voting rights act of 1965 and literally hours after that happened texas was one of the states that implemented uh, a crackdown on voting right so basically what's been happening and if you ask me it started back in 2008 after Barack Obama was elected president, there was this mass campaign to stop to stop voting fraud, right? Even though um, even though the stats and data show that voting fraud is nearly non-existent, even though despite the facts, what Republicans have been doing across the country, especially in red states, they actually implemented 99 bills designed to dis diminish voter access. Those were introduced just in 2017 in 31 state legislators. So like even in like North Carolina, for example, they enacted re uh, restrictions on early voting, which is a policy that a lot of African-Americans, especially our seniors and our elders, they like to go to the polls directly after church. You know, they'll go together and you know, they'll do it early, but now they can't even get that done um, in North Carolina. And like, that's just one example of many. So like, I know we want to talk more about uh, the 2013 Supreme Court case and what's happening across the country. Yeah, but before we get there, on that point that you just made about North Carolina, it's worse than that because North Carolina actually publicly stated in court documents that the reason they stopped Sunday voting in counties with Sunday voting were disproportionately black and because blacks disproportionately voted Democrat. They literally admitted that in a court filing. Um, I, you know, yes, the Supreme Court decision had a really big impact, but before we get there, we're getting some comments so we want to get to them on Facebook. Chad, our good friend Chad, chimes in. He says, there is an open and blatant attack on black voting rights going on in this country by the Republican Party, and it's not being given nearly enough attention nationally. In my opinion, Brian Kemp needs to be charged for suppressing the rights of American citizens. Um, Dara Kalima says, what's crazy about exact match, so hold on, I lost that a second. What's crazy about exact match, quote unquote, is people could be denied for road versus road voting, uh, meaning a uh, period can stop somebody for, from voting 
voting. Mm -hmm. um, and Marilyn's also chiming into this conversation. She's given us the thumbs up. And Dara Kalima says, and the represent uh, and the, with the rep control, they won't provide proper oversight for those implementing voter suppression laws. Uh, so we're getting really good comments. Thank you all for being with us and for chiming into this conversation. A lot of people will say that you know they don't understand why their vote matters in communities of color. So what you need to understand in most of these elections, the important elections, people of color are going to be the deciding factor that's going to help Democrats win. Roy Moore lost his election in um, was it Alabama to Doug, Jones, to Doug yeah. Jones because of the black vote, particularly the black woman vote. The Republicans understand that if black and Latino people have the ability to vote, they they tend to vote Democrat. It's going to cost them their seats. But I find it kind of you know, like poetic justice because we we've known this, we've always known this, but we spent the last year and a half debating with people about the need to talk to more white folks who were upset about economic anxiety. When the X factor has remained, you need to get more black votes out. Well, well, here's the thing, and you know, voter apathy is something that's you know prevalent in some communities of color, and the reason why is because historically we have like it's it's been shown that even if you do try to vote, the system itself is corrupt. And now we have in 2018 Brian Kemp, who is keeping people away from the polls with like a, like a little minor discrepancy like a punctuation or a hyphen or a period. So it's like there's no more public trust in the system. There has never been public trust in the system. So when we're telling people to go out and vote, they're like, for what? The system was never made for us. Why should we participate in it? Greg, what do you say to that? I mean, I say um, it's always better when we're engaged, as they say, on the court as opposed to off. And so I even go a step further. Even if someone is uncertain about wanting to vote, and I get it because they're like, I don't even know if they're going to say yes to me at the polls. They can still do things like protest, volunteer, make differences in their community. And so it's always better when we're engaged as opposed to not to. You know, and, and look, absolutely, like you said the courts, right? And we, we talked about this topic of the courts and the getting rid of the pre-clearance. The courts have a lot of influence on our lives and they have a lot of influence over whether or not these very strict voter suppression laws are upheld or not um, and yet people don't vote and that has an impact on the courts and we're seeing that right now and we've discussed this in previous shows but um, the reason why Republicans have been able not just to pack the Supreme Court with their justices but also pack a lot of these lower courts that are making decisions about issues like voting and like voter suppression laws um, at the district court level is because they turned out for Donald Trump even if they didn't agree with him. And so that goes back to Selena's point about voter apathy. People think their vote doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Um, because if Hillary Clinton wins the election, then right now, Neil Gorsuch is not on the Supreme Court. Right now, Brett Kavanaugh is not on the Supreme Court. Right now, 200 district court judgeships have not been filled by Republicans. Um, so for that reason alone, when you look at, like, yes, the court overturn the Voting Rights Act prior to the election, and I get that, but the point is bigger than that, um, because the composition of the court matters and your vote impacts the composition of the court. Yeah, but, but I would say one other thing, though. I, I, I need our politicians to do better, because there's also a gap between, yes, black folks keep going out and voting for Democrats, and then folks get in the office and they get a little quiet. Yeah. They don't, yeah, they're right. not activists. They're not overtly talking about things that matter to black voters. So I also need the politicians to do what in a way, I can't believe I'm about to say this, what Donald Trump does. Donald Trump has embraced folks who are on the white supremacists. He has embraced his evangelical voters. He, he's like, hey, I'm gonna let everybody know who I'm helping. 
And and so what if one side's upset or not, but I'm going to get y'all all taken care of. And yeah. I need folks to be more vocal as politicians once they get in office to be activists, not just allies. And, you know, Good once point. again, black, black voter apathy isn't just because, you know, um, like, it's not just because politicians aren't paying attention to them or not talking to them enough. It's because what benefits do black people have to vote for these people? Black women helped put Doug Jones in office and all of the things he's voted on will significantly hurt black women. That's my point. And, you know, Hillary Clinton, she was great, but she also called black kids super predators. And her husband pushed with a crime bill. Now, if you ask me, I have... I said you need to talk about the nuance of why that bill got passed in the first place. But still, black people's lives are not being significantly improved by these elected officials. And then they get into office and we have what is race-neutral language. And then the black groups who are, who are demanding things are told to shut up because they're too demanding. So we really need to have a conversation about the way that we can talk to black folks and brown folks and make them feel like they're going to get something. Because the, one of the biggest common denominators of the Trump election was that black people and Latino people did not turn out the way they did for Obama. But we spent two years chasing after the mythical white voter. Right. So it's like, what do you what do you expect? Right. And just to shift gears a little bit, because voter suppression does not just affect uh, African-American community, right? Yeah. Um, so it also it transcends our community. And in fact, Native American votes are being suppressed in North Dakota. Um, so uh, basically what's happening now, if you live in North Dakota and you're Native American, you must provide an ID that shows a street address even though many indigenous people in that state use a P.O. box. And I know people who use a P.O. box rather than a, an address. But again, these tactics are strategically going after black and brown people yeah. to keep us away from the polls and make it harder. All of these hurdles and barriers, like even just knowing this would keep people from, from going. Cause they're like, I don't want to get there and tie up two hours going back and forth to figure out my street address, my ID, I have a different name. Like it's a lot. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that's that's the the process is the punishment, right? We say that when we talk about the criminal justice system and the fact that like somebody is innocent um, and they want to fight their case, but in order to do that, they have to continue to go back to court and go back to court and go back to court and sometimes sit at Rikers Island. That's why we have to close Rikers. Side note. Um, and so it's a war of attrition, um, and that's exactly what it is. So like somebody, they're like, well, I don't know if I have the right ID. Then I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stand online for two and a half hours, and then I'm gonna get to the front. They're gonna tell me I can. Vote vote on a provisional ballot and I don't even know if my vote's actually going to be counted and they're like well why am I even going to waste my damn time um, and that's exactly what Republicans want like this is why during 2016 people were saying like stay online stay online stay online like vote with a conditional ballot if you have to they want you to not right. win that war of attrition um, you know and you know to um, the Native American point like yeah it's a big problem because of the way the IDs are um, you know we're, we should be honoring those IDs but there's like thankfully a big push by active groups to try and get people the proper forms of identification so that they can uh, they can vote um, I know sort of in a little while we're going to talk about some of the things we can do yeah. um, and that's that's one of them right um, and another tactic I know before we move on to the solutions because don't lose hope there's a lot of things that we can do another tactic we've talked about and discussed on so let your voice be heard in the past is gerrymandering so I wanted to throw it over to Stanley uh, to just give us a brief explanation of, of gerrymandering and why you believe this again another tactic that Republicans are using to stop the vote so every 10 years um usually state senate, senate and assembly members have to recut the lines of the districts they represent so what that pretty much means is like they look at the map of like an area and they have to pretty much create the barrier like the group of, pe the group of people they're going to represent 
So usually the party who's in the majority would do that. In New York State in 2010, the Republicans had the Senate. So they cut the district lines so that their districts would be nothing but Republican voters or white people. And they literally did this. They literally went in and would cut out black neighborhoods. So you'd have districts that were cut so weird, it would be one square, then all of a sudden the square would have a circle. Or they would use it to push people out of their districts so they can't run against them. Um, so what, what has happened on a national level is Republicans have had control of most state houses because they're governors in 22 states, and they have cut lines in a way that makes it very easy for Republicans to get elected and stay in power and very hard for Democrats to, to get elected and, and stay in power or even attain power to the point that the last couple of elections we've had, Democrats have actually had more votes than most Republicans, and they still lost their elections just because of the way the district was cut. Right. And Greg, did you... Oh, no, I was just going to say 33 current uh, states have Republican governors. Thank you. Right, and those people are going to be in charge of helping to cut the lines yep. in the census that's coming up in just two years, which yep. is why it's so important that people go out and vote in 2018, even in the face of all these methods that are being used to try and suppress their vote. Right, right, right. And so basically, so we spent a large amount of time talking about the problem and just analyzing it and talking about how, again, this is uh, strategically and intentionally formatted to keep us, you know, from voting. So let's talk about what people can do. I know Alyssa just alluded to uh, being more determined than ever to make sure you go out and vote. Any other practical and tangible solutions and resources that we can give our listeners and watchers about voting in the midterm elections? So two things. One, if you are a white privileged person and you care about this issue, then you should donate money to help you know, funds like the fund in North Dakota that is helping natives to get the correct ID. Um, because ultimately, if you want to see more Democrats elected um, and you know these people are going to vote progressively, if they have the opportunity to, then you want to impact that. Um, with respect to Georgia specifically, um, you can actually vote even if you're uh, frozen or pending. Um, so the Secretary of State's office has confirmed that if your voter registration application is deemed pending because of the exact match law, you can still cast a regular ballot if you provide photo identification at the polls, which substantially reflects the name you use on your voter registration um, form. And the ACLU of Georgia says that they strongly oppose the discriminatory exact match law passed by Georgia Republicans, but they must focus on ensuring that all registered voters come out to vote. And they reiterate that all voters who have a pending registration application can still cast a regular ballot by presenting photo ID, which is to say, go vote, even if you think you cannot. Greg, what solutions or advice would you give to get people to the polls? Um, you know, I would say that um, votes matter. One thing I would say is for us to be more vocal about that voting rights matter to us and that we want our politicians to go back in and reverse the Shelby and uh, hold their decisions, which they can. The, the Congress just needs to pass new laws as to the preclearance formula and things like that. Um, also, I'm going to put a little bit of the onus also on folks who are running for office. There's uh, 14 of our current governors never held any elected office before. So to all the folks out there that got a little bit of money, they're popular, they got substance, but they care about people, I would encourage them to go out and run for office because there's a lot of governors right now who've never had any office that can go out there and they could be the difference into the redistricting yeah. and the things that affect our daily lives, which are the states that we live in. And those would be two things that I would say. Thank you for that, Greg. And, and Stanley, you do a lot of work 
in voting and getting mobilizing people in New York City to get out and vote? Uh, you know, what do you tell them? What can you share with everyone? So some more tangible things. Um, two things. First off, vote. This election, you need to vote. But when you're working on a campaign and you don't get out the vote, what you usually do when you're calling people, and I'm going to do it to all the listeners now on podcasts, on Facebook Live, and on IG Live, what's your voting plan? Do you have your ID? And I just posted on the Facebook Live link, um, vote.org, and it tells you the different kind of IDs you can use in different states to go vote. In New York State, you don't need an ID, but a lot of these states, you do need an ID, and not just any ID, the right kind of ID. So do you have your ID? Where's your polling site? How long does it, does it take to get there? What time are you going to go? If you can't make it that time, can you go at another time? Do you have somebody that can watch your kids for you? Because... These are questions that are going to be really important in making sure... Do you sure have some way to get to the polls? And if not, who's going to take you? Exactly. And if more than likely, if there's someone running for office, you can contact that office. They will make sure you get to the polls. Trust me. So make sure you look out for that. But if you have a voting plan together, it makes it a lot easier to get things done. Also, know between 12 and 3 p.m. during the day, that's a slow period for voting. So if you can go take a break from lunch for work and, and run to your poll site, if you have a car or it's close by and vote, that's a really good thing to do too because then you can just vote real quick when it should be slower. But vote, 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 vote. Uh, and the sooner the better. Absolutely. Just, your boss has to give you time off to go vote. I just want to make that very clear. That is the law. Mm. Um, oh, you know, okay. I didn't if, know that, Alyssa. Yeah, if you, if you don't have a certain number of hours either before work or after work to be able to vote, by law you are allowed to leave work to go vote. So um, don't let your boss say, like, oh, I'm going to fire you if you leave to go vote. Like, that's actually against the law. Thank you for that, Alyssa. And I would say another solution is there are a number of campaigns uh, being pushed right now to for millions of Americans who cannot vote simply because they have a past conviction. In three states in particular, Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky, um, at least 20% of eligible age African Americans cannot vote because of a past conviction, conviction like I just said. So we need to make sure that we are pushing and advocating for these reforms, for these efforts. If you can't make a pro, if you can't actually go down and protest, then maybe you can donate five, ten dollars, you know, some spare money to help the activists who are doing the work so that it keeps all of us empowered. And now we do have 30 seconds for final thoughts before we close out this segment. Um, Stanley, I'll start with you again. 30 seconds, last final thoughts on this, on why Black Votes Matter. So, Black Votes Matter because they're fighting with every skin in their body to stop Blacks from voting because they know we've changed elections. Want to make sure you can vote? Want to make sure you have resources? Go to votesaveamerica.com. They have a great toolkit. They'll help organize a ride. They'll show you a polling site. They'll even give you a sample ballot so you can know how it's going to look when you go to the polls. So votesaveamerica.com. Make it happen. Greg, 30 seconds, yeah. final thoughts? Yeah, I know that uh, voting isn't the silver bullet that solves everything, right? It's true. But there's a battle going on for this country and for people's rights. And when you're in a battle, all options have to be on the table. And so I encourage people that voting is one of those options, and so use it, along with all the other options that we're going to have to use to win this battle. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm going to take a part of my 30 seconds to tell you a little more about Florida. Restore the, for the fourth um, is a big thing that's going on, which is would get 
give felons back their right to vote. Um, and this really impacts especially Puerto Ricans in Florida because in Puerto Rico, there's no law that says you cannot vote um, if you have a felony. But a lot of Puerto Ricans have been displaced and now they're in Florida and they have a felony, they can't vote. So it's really, really important uh, that we pass laws that not just allow people with felonies to vote, but also allow people in prison to vote. I think that's really important. I think there's only one state in the country that actually allows people in prison to vote. Um, and those, as we know, the majority of people in prison are people of color because of the war on drugs and other issues we don't have the time to get into right now. Uh, but we need to be focused on, you know, passing those kinds of initiatives to let people in prison vote and let people who have been disenfranchised vote as well. Um, I will end by saying this. It is very clear that Republicans cannot win on their own, so they have no choice but to cheat. Um, and this is just another example of the new Jim Crow, uh, which is pointed out by one of our commenters, Don L. Thank you so much for that. Um, the, we can overcome that by basically saying, you know what, you are going to try very, very hard to cheat and you are not going to succeed because we are going to go out, we're going to stand in line, we're going to cast our ballots and we're going to do everything we can to win this election, even in the face of the suppression that you're throwing at us. Thank you. And I'll just sum up uh, by saying this. So Brian Kemp, he is in Georgia, he is doing this and trying to uh, take back the vote in Georgia because he knows that a part of Stacey Abrams' electoral strategy is to get the 600,000 African Americans who are unregistered to vote to register and then get them to the polls. So basically what's happening is it's just a, you know, to, to quote Stacey Abrams, this is a redux of a failed system that is designed to both scare people out of voting and make it harder for those who are willing to push through. And that is why at the midterm elections, we must vote because we can't let them win. And I'll just add on by saying like, they're really transparent about these tactics. Like just like they were uh, a century ago when they would say you needed to take a literacy test, you needed to prove that you can read a paragraph from the Constitution if you are a black person in order to vote. Like they made it so apparent and they're doing the same thing. I mean, Donald Trump, he said the reason why he lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton is because millions of undocumented black and brown people were voting illegally at the polls. And then he also said, as we mentioned in this show, that Democrats are behind the caravans of, of Spanish people coming into this country so that they can vote. So they are extremely apparent, and that's why we must be extremely intentional to get to the polls this midterm election. At this point, our lives depend on it. Yeah. And I just want to also close out by thanking everyone for watching and tuning in with us via Facebook Live and Instagram Live. We appreciate you. And you can continue to support us on patreon.com that's patreon.com slash be heard radio and we will continue to support the issues and the causes that you care about thanks guys peace